Okay, we are live. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to my podcast tonight. I am Jill Foose of Jill Foose Wellness, and I am your host for the evening, and I am excited to bring an intriguing conversation to you tonight. I am an integrative nutrition and functional medicine health coach located in downtown Chicago, and I have five kids, I have two dogs, and I have been on my own health journey for decades. So it is a journey, and we're going to dig into emotional eating tonight and mindset and how to make better lifestyle and healthy lifestyle changes. And today I have an amazing guest with me. Her name is Dr. Sandy Scheinbaum. And she is not just a friend and a mentor, but she is an incredible clinical psychologist with over 35 years in the field. She was a pioneer in blending functional medicine principles with positive psychology, cognitive behavior therapy, and mind-body medicine. She's the founder and CEO of the Functional Medicine Coaching Academy, which is a um, collaboration with the Institute for Functional Medicine, and it's also the school that I went to. Um, she trains people to become functional medicine health coaches because she believes that growing the health coaching profession will be the solution to combating chronic disease, offer affordable access to functional and lifestyle medicine, and reduce health care costs. Dr. Scheinbaum is the author of Functional Medicine Coaching, Stop Panic Attacks in 10 Easy Steps, and How to Give Clients the Skills to Stop Panic Attacks. So all perfect readings if you're an emotional eater. <laughs> well, welcome, Dr. Sandy. I'm so excited to have you tonight. I am just thrilled that you are here for me to share with you, share to my followers um, who may not have ever come across your work and are really just trying to better their own health and wellness for themselves. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And I'm just thrilled to be here. Yeah, me too. So I today we're going to be talking about emotional eating, what it is, we're going to talk about triggers, different real life situations where you may not have known you're an emotional eater and maybe um, you'll find some nuggets to take away tonight that say, ah, you know what, maybe I am that and maybe that's something I need to investigate a little bit more. We're going to talk about the mindset around emotional eating and the mindset around getting out of that state and starting to turn your life around and make these healthy lifestyle habits that are going to be long-term. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the goal of changing lifestyles is to make them stick and not just be temporary? Absolutely. Uh, we want to be able to uh, make choices that are right for us and personalize our choices because there is no one size fits all. So uh, what might be right for one person is different. It might not be right for someone else. So it's just a pleasure to talk about these topics. And, you know, Jill, you and I go way back and we have sweated together in hot yoga classes. Yeah. Uh, we have been together uh, back in the day at local um, gluten-free health fairs and have a long history of being passionate about health. We'd run into a one another at Whole Foods uh, shopping in the area. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. Dr. Sandy is also from the Chicago area, although now she's in a nice warm climate, um, getting away from the city. But she and I go way back when I had my food manufacturing company called Zima's Madhouse Foods. It was a line of healthy, gluten-free, top eight allergen-free baking mixes and cookies. And um, Dr. Sandy was and her partner, Elise Wagner, were two people that I could talk to about the path that I was on for myself. And they were so instrumental when I decided to leave the food manufacturing world and go into health coaching. The first call I made was to Dr. Sandy. Remember that? I was like, yes. where do I go? This is, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. And how do I get there? And it's sort of like, you know, that was a lifestyle change. I was going through some personal changes myself. Um, and I really needed help to help me take that visual and turn it into a real life situation. And that's the gist of tonight. 
So that was, that was a great time. Um, Dr. Sandy, before we dig in, what even brought you to functional medicine and clinical psychology? Like, and, and how did you fine tune positive psychology in terms of, because I know you talk a lot about emotional eating or eating disorders. So what was that path like for you? Well, it was my own story that led me to eventually to functional medicine and before that to positive psychology and before that mind-body medicine, cognitive behavioral work. And it really started when I was a classroom teacher and I specialized in helping children with learning disabilities, behavior disorders. And at the time, I was seriously addicted to sugar. I mean, seriously. I remember uh, in, in those days, we're talking early 70s. Uh, it was commonplace when you had a classroom, kids with special needs, uh, you'd have snack time. And the parents would bring in cookies for the snack time. And we also had M&Ms because it was a behavioral reinforcement program. And when they did things well, we would often, I mean, it sounds crazy now, but they would get their M&Ms as positive reinforcement. Well, I was getting those too, a lot of them, because it was seriously addictive. And I had no clue in those days that what you ate had any impact on mood, on, how, on inflammation, what was that, on blood sugar, what was that? It was, uh, you know, I was in my early 20s and became seriously uh, addicted to sugar. And I remember driving home from my day as a teacher and stopping at Baskin Robbins. And then after, after that, oh, that's not enough. I want even more when I got home. And I also, though, at the time, fortunately loved learning. So I was constantly going back, getting more training. I trained in behavior management. Ultimately, I got a doctorate in clinical psychology and I was a renegade. So the time was really for people who were doing psychoanalytic work. And I wanted a different system. I felt like that was demoralizing for people, people who were in psychotherapy their entire lives. And I was very attracted by cognitive behavioral interventions. Like, oh, could it be our thinking? Could it be how we interpret things that's causing uh, how we're feeling, how our emotional states would be. And so I, once I got my doctorate, I started my own private practice again in the Chicago area and specialized in blending, changing your thinking with changing your breathing, muscle relaxation, and was teaching this. Uh, we didn't really have an, even a name of mind-body medicine at the time. It was considered pretty radical. And doctors, I remember local doctors were like throwing me out of their office, like this is garbage. There's no science. What do you mean? I, you can work with my patients and teach them to breathe and they'll feel better. And I was persistent and I developed a, a following in the Chicago area doing biofeedback, working with a lot of kids with ADD and a lot of people with anxiety and panic. And I was always interested in nutrition, uh, even though I was still binging on sugar for a long time, even though now, now we're talking, you know, 80s, well, maybe I'm using brown rice syrup or agave, which now we know wasn't so good for you. So I was, I was along that path to uh, some alternatives, but still eating a ton of uh, sweet foods and started to learn a lot of, about about sugar, about how it's connected to panic attacks, which I was getting when also in my 20s, and then discovered functional medicine and discovered specifically the Institute for Functional Medicine. And so I got trained, I became certified in functional medicine. And that was the system that tied us all together, because it is where we look at root causes and look at how clinical imbalances can really be implicated and be driving symptoms. And so it's not just this isolated set of symptoms that you have, but they're all interconnected. You dive in to find the root cause and typically it's things like inflammation and then address those 
first with diet and lifestyle, and then look uh, at going up the ladder to supplements, and then, of course, medical treatment uh, if necessary. So long-winded answer, uh, but basically it was my, my personal struggles that led to wanting to know more and transitioning and uh, to different careers along the way. Wow, that is really impressive. I don't think I knew the beginning of that story about you. And that's really, I didn't realize it was so connected to your own sugar addiction. And um, I, I absolutely love that you just renegated that entire uh, subject matter, you know? And, and it's still today, allopathic doctors sometimes look at us functional medicine folk and say, absolutely not. You know, like there's just no science. They, they just don't know, they don't want to hear it. And so they do talk us out. But it is becoming more and more popular and um, more available to people, which is the great news. I do want to say before we continue on that Dr. Sandy and I are not your primary care physician. So everything we're talking about and sharing today is just suggestions, opinions, um, also research and science that Dr. Sandy has focused on. So anytime you're thinking about making a personal lifestyle change, make sure you check with your primary care physician and make sure it fits your, your needs and it's safe for you. All right, that being said, I love food. I'm a huge foodie. I love cooking. I love eating. I love developing, formulating, like all things food. I love ingredients. I love how food reminds me of my childhood. You know, great, um, lovely memories of dishes either at my aunt's house or my mom's or my grandparents like it's all connected and as a young child I was a competitive athlete a real high-end athlete and I could eat anything I wanted and not gain a pound like I didn't even connect the dots back then of what food made how it made us feel and if you ate too much or ate too little like there was none of that thinking for me I just ate and then it was college being in college, freshman 15, and I rode that weight. I gained 15 pounds. I was staying out late at parties. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I was a little bit homesick. I was stressing about my classes and exams. I was stressed about meeting people, belonging, taking care of, all the things I didn't worry about when I was younger suddenly appeared out of nowhere in college. And I gained the weight and I felt horrible. I felt horrible mentally, physically. I felt um, emotionally. I really just was down. And I became dialed into my health after that. It took me years to come back from that and really think about connecting the dots and changing the way I would eat and take care of myself. And I've been... I've, I've explored all dietary theories. I have been a vegan. I'm now a carnivore, like everything in between, right? There's full spectrum, but there is no one size fits all. And right now we're in a pandemic and there's a lot of stress and a lot of elevated, you know, bad negative news out there. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their homes. Some people are going through a divorce. I know um, some divorce lawyers told me that their business is just completely elevated during COVID because people are realizing maybe they don't want to be stuck in a home with this person anymore. All kinds of triggers out there and people are gaining weight. And some people have been able to successfully turn their health around and come out as warriors, right? But most people have turned to unhealthy lifestyle habits, such as eating a poor diet, not sleeping um, the way they used to, snacking and grazing all day, not eating meals, lack of movement and exercise. And they're in they're having an increase in depression, anxiety, and loneliness. And it's kicked in globally. This is just isn't about our country. And how does that person in that moment, in that chaos, even think about changing their lifestyle? Like, do they even recognize something's wrong? And how do they, how do they maneuver out of that hole? So you bring up so many uh, good points. And I think now more than ever, uh, people are suffering and they feel isolated. And when you're isolated, 
Yeah, it's easy to uh, feel that you are alone. You may realize something is wrong. Perhaps you don't know how to deal with it. And perhaps you jump to labeling yourself. And so you are quick to self-diagnose. And we are so quick to say something's wrong. Something's wrong with me. I have a disorder. I need to be fixed. And the whole field of positive psychology, which I became interested in long before it had a name, it's how do people flourish? What's right and not what's wrong? And the way to address what might be troubling, what might be something that you want to change, it's not working for you, you can address it by looking at what is right. What are your strengths? What are the resources that you have? And so I think that while it's true that people are, for example, eating out of awareness, are uh, used to, um, if, because, for example, processed food, and so many people have loaded up on processed foods. I, early on in the pandemic, they would put pictures on social media. Oh, I just went to the grocery store and I got Oreos and bags of chips and all this. And, and the, the vegetable section was great. I was, I was getting my uh, deliveries of, of fruits and vegetables. They were plentiful, but I couldn't get the, the packaged foods because that's what everybody was buying. And those are the very foods that the food industry spends billions of dollars to seriously make addictive so that you'll keep wanting more and buying more. And so, uh, but it's hard. It's hard to break that cycle. And sometimes you don't even realize it. And also sometimes you have been given advice, standard advice that is not working for you. Uh, for example, I was uh, on a panel and there was a registered dietitian and she was still saying, you need to eat every two, three hours because you have to keep your blood sugar stable. And I remember those days. That was back uh, years ago. And I was one of those people who would help people to maintain that kind of routine. That's what I was doing. Oh, I can't leave the house. I can't get in my car without a snack nearby. Because what if I get hungry? Or what if it's beyond that two to three hours? Well, now people who are on the cutting edge of nutritional research and are reevaluating what we thought was the truth, the given, that, oh, that didn't work so well. Maybe a lot of people were becoming pre-diabetic because of that, because they were constantly releasing insulin and their bodies you know, didn't need to be grazing. Maybe our grandparents and great-grandparents were right all along. Maybe three square meals, or maybe you don't even need three meals. And so I have gotten into skipping breakfast, doing fasting. I have converted the way I have eaten. And what I love to do is keep an open mind in terms of what is right for me. There's no one size fits all. And also that what I'm doing now may not be right down the road. There's so many factors that play in how old you are, your lifestyle and your genomic profile. So and there increasingly there are ways that you can become your own empowered CEO of your health. So your your question was how do we become aware? Well, one of the things that you could do is do some of your own research. In other words, what would that be? Well, we have ways now that you can get data so you may have a watch where you can count, you know, it's got your steps, you can get your, your, your uh, breath rate, you can get, uh, I have an aura ring where I can uh, track my sleep and I'll know, um, get a lot of great information. And what I'm most excited about is called a continuous blood sugar monitor. I'm not wearing one right now, but I have been. And you'll learn a lot of things like maybe that eating every two, three hours is going to keep your blood sugar continually elevated. And maybe when you try a different way of eating throughout the day, maybe you try different foods. Hmm. Even though I thought that uh, making these huge green smoothies for lunch were great for me because I had all the right powders in there and tons of good green leafy vegetables. But whoa, 
it was still elevating my blood sugar compared to uh, when I was uh, experimenting with, I had some eggs and a side of bacon and an avocado and whoa, my blood sugar was flatlined. It didn't budge. It was fantastic. And I felt energized. So that's one way you can get data and that's going to make it easier to change because now you know that this will happen. You'll see that huge climb in blood sugar. So, oh, I'm going to then not engage in that eating pattern or eat that particular food. Right. And um, I just bought the whoop. I just make yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna, you know, I have trouble sleeping, and I want to know the quality of my sleep, what's going on, and how I can start to help myself. So, absolutely, wearing devices and doing your own research is such a great way. I think another great way, which I was reading over all my notebooks from the uh, program from FMCA, and which is Dr. Sandy's program, and I came across character traits, and I was thinking, you know. I do that and I don't even like do it consciously, but thinking about where your character strengths are, are you a creative person? Are you funny? Are you, you know, self-motivated, you know, finding these things out about yourself also can help you get, take that first step. Um, like for me, when I was going through something, you know, personal, all I kept telling myself was, Jill, you are a, you self-motivate. You just need reminders. And so I put sticky notes of three things, eat well, exercise, and sleep all over my house. And I had three reminders on my phone, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And those were the three things I focused on during a very stressful and chaotic time in my life. And it really helped me. So to anyone out there going through a stressful time, whatever it takes for you, whatever your equation is to get yourself motivated, do it, right? Like there's no judgment here. We all want to live healthy, optimal lives. So using your character traits, using different devices to find out information is all about research. It's all about digging in and learning. You have to be your own self-advocate, your own PI, right? Your own private investigator for yourself, for your own health. Um, so eating has really elevated, though, because of the pandemic in another way. And I found this um, truly intriguing. The two aisles in the grocery store that were always empty was the flour aisle and the toilet paper and the paper towel aisle. And you couldn't find flour anywhere. And I was thinking about that, that there was this this surge of home baking and cooking and not always such healthy things. In fact, more often than not, it was, you know, brownies, cookies, a souffle, like things that people may not have had time to make during their busy lives, but now they're home with their kids. And at this point, it's just sort of like, you know, a, an extended snow day, right? We don't know when we're coming back. And it just, this pandemic just created these home bakers. And all of a sudden people were gaining a lot of weight, not having access to their gyms anymore. So they weren't really working out. They wanted to just sit around and watch Netflix, catch up on shows. And there was all of these negative things going on behind the scenes, weight gain, loss of sleep, loss of libido. Um, People were, they were calling it the COVID-19. People were having um, heart issues or physical issues, joint pain, uh, bloating, gas, GI issues. And at this time, it didn't look like emotional eating. It just looked like, you know, fun, engaging and creative. It was all on social media, but slowly this at-home shutdown um, led many people to start soothing themselves with this type of food, these high-carb, high-calorie, low-nutritional-value foods, these processed foods. Even if you made them at home, they still weren't that good for you. And even if you made the healthy version, eating seven or eight cookies a night of your healthy almond flour you know, brownies wasn't going to help your situation either, right? And so... What's physically happening in the body during all of this stress, this chaos? Like what, what's happening that's driving people to go for, especially the sweets? 
It all really relates back to what's called our fight or flight response. And it's a good thing. We need it. If uh, we didn't have it, then we couldn't survive. We need to be ready to fight or run away from real danger. And our body does not have the, uh, the thinking brain. It's a, it's a limbic response. It's an automatic response to perceived danger. We think that we're being chased by a wild tiger. And at an extreme level, uh, we feel our heart like pounding. We can't breathe. We have uh, every system of the body is activated or shuts down in order to help us survive. And what happens is there's an excellent book, uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers by Robert Sapolsky, because what would happen and biologically, it's meant to be like a switch, turn it on, turn it off. The right. danger's there. And then the wild tiger turns in the other direction, it's gone. And now you go back to grazing and eating your grass like nothing ever happened. So it's a but, and not chronic at that point. It's, a, it's acute, it has happens and it's gone. But we are turning it into chronic because we have a thinking brain and we are worried, well, what if the tiger comes again? Or, you know, we, we start to then tell others, oh, you can't imagine, you know, how bad it was the tiger was chasing me. And uh, so it's those ruminative thoughts. It's the what ifs. And so anxiety, a heightened sense of what's going to happen, uncertainty will create this low level of a stress response. And so what happens then is we may want to soothe ourselves during that time and food can serve that. It's very soothing. And often then it may lead to an overlay. What's that? Well, maybe we did eat those seven or eight cookies and now we feel really crummy. And why did I do that? Why, do I, why can't I stop myself? So now we have an overlay of guilt, shame, embarrassment. And now we're going to say, oh, what the hell? I might as well just eat a few more. Oh, I might as well finish the whole pan of them because now I started and I'll start. I'll be better tomorrow. And so we have all of this self-talk going on and that makes it worse. It drives us to eat even more. Couple that with the fact that sugar is highly addictive. And so that taste of something sweet, there's been studies in uh, uh, this famous study of mice where they were given something sweet, they were giving uh, like sugar water, and they were given cocaine. And they went for the sugar rather than the cocaine. It is more addictive than cocaine. And so it is driving, it's basically, it's a response that we have to like sweet. And it's even been programmed genetically because there's nothing in nature that's poisonous that's sweet. Whereas bitter, you could be gout foraging and bitter could kill you. It could be poisonous, but sweet doesn't. And so that is as well. Uh, we knew how to handle sweet millions of years ago uh, when we were evolving or, you know, in, in the days of Paleolithic era, well, you would, it was our bodies needed to gain some weight because in the winter we didn't have access to food. So you had to pack on a little bit of extra weight so that you could deal with these harsh starvation conditions. And so when berries were plentiful, you ate a lot of them, but now we have it all day long when we can we can get Instacart, we can get it delivered, we have the flour in our pantry, we can bake things. So it's constantly available. And so it's hard. And emotional eating is normal eating because food tastes good. We have the joy of eating and we eat for celebrations. So it's not all bad. Right. It's not all like emotional eating is a bad thing. But we want to look at why we're eating. Are we eating because we're truly hungry? And the test of that is, well, if we're really hungry, we would want to have broccoli. You know, we would have, want to have a piece of meat. But if the thought of eating that isn't appealing right now, we want um, the carb, we want the cookie, we want uh, the chips. Well, that's emotional eating. We want it for a different reason. 
it's also bored. Boredom is a main reason. And so often, especially now, we're stuck at home. We are uh, often we are are bored. It's also lack of sleep. Lack of sleep when you're tired and you have more cortisol uh, running through your body, then uh, you are likely then to go for foods that aren't serving you. Uh, Anger. I mean, almost every emotion that exists, you're angry, you're upset, then you're eating. So if you're listening, think about what emotions are your triggers. And then there's double duty. Then there's, which I'm still guilty of, uh, I might be looking at email and I'm eating and I don't realize what I've eaten. I'm not really tasting the food. I'm eating standing up because I'm rushing to get to a meeting or I'm reading something at the same time that I am eating. And so many people will do that or they'll sit in front of the TV and they'll eat. And we pair food with certain occasions like, oh, I'm going to sit down and watch a movie. So better have some popcorn because that goes with watching a movie. Right, right. I want to touch on that cortisol because um, it's such a, it's in my notes. So I'm glad that you brought it up. During the fight or flight um, scenario, that's your sympathetic nervous system. And like we were saying, stressors ancestrally were acute stressors, right? They didn't last. And our body was able to adapt and it, it was good. We needed to be prepared for that, like you said, but we also needed to be able to come down and um, get into a rest and digest mode, which is the, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. When we're in the fight or flight and the cortisol is heightened and it's now chronically heightened, that leads to a lot of health issues, such as it affects your metabolism. It affects your adrenal glands and it drains you. And so if we're always in a state of high cortisol, especially with um, poor sleep habits and not sleeping through the night and waking up, our cortisol starts around, I think maybe 4 a.m. and slowly comes up and then it tapers off because we can't exist in a healthy manner in a state of high cortisol 24-7. It just doesn't work. And so I think it's really important for people to understand that cortisol and your adrenal glands are so important and so fragile that um, staying in a state of chaos and chronic stress will lead to greater health issues besides gaining the COVID-19, right? It goes way beyond that. Um, So think about that too. Think about physical physiologically, what's going on inside your body. And and for some people, that makes a difference. Thinking about what's going on at a cellular level and not wanting that happening inside. And it might be, that might be a, a component of their equation that helps them stay, get back on track or find a new healthy lifestyle habit. So I just wanted to touch on that cortisol. So I recently, um, Recently, for my own research, I was looking up the top 25 healthy food bloggers. I was doing this because so many of my clients come to me and say, oh, you know, as far as like cooking, do you know this blogger and that blogger? And I know, of course, a lot about the bloggers out there, healthy and not healthy, because I'm a foodie. And there are these bloggers out there who are young and beautiful and thin and like they always look amazing and the way they cook or bake is just lovely right ever the bright colors all these healthy ingredients and if you're someone who knows that you are an emotional eater I'm not saying not to follow them. I'm saying to be very mindful of who you follow because they're there to sell their product, their recipes. Um, maybe they have affiliate relationships with the products they're using and they're amazing marketers and they're very good at what they do. But if you're an emotional eater, what are your thoughts on following bloggers like this who make these amazing desserts with these healthy ingredients um, that make it hard for an emotional eater to not want to make that and have it in your house because it's a healthy snack. But when they're feeling down, they go and grab it and eat the entire thing, the entire recipe in one sitting. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, let me start with my own personal experience. I have to quit cold turkey. I, other than uh, select times of the year, like Thanksgiving, I'm having family. Uh, I used to entertain a lot and I loved baking. Um, and I love your recipes, Jill. I mean, they're fabulous. Um, JJ yeah. Virgin is a good friend of mine and I love her recipes. And so I will bake things, and, but it doesn't matter whether they're made of monk fruit or stevia, whatever I have used in a sweetener as a sweetener. Uh, when the company leaves and I am faced with this, you know, beautiful uh, kitchen island filled with all of these uh, yummy desserts, um, I will overeat them. And then the next day I will want more and more. And so if, if that's you, if you find that you have trouble staying away, then, uh, you know, for me, I need to quit cold turkey. I need to have my company take them back with me. If it's my children, take it back. Or because uh, even if they're in the freezer, I will know they're there and I will take them out and overeat. And now that I have things like an aura ring, I will know that if I have too many carbs, especially later in the evening, and I'm not talking too late, I'm talking like six, seven o'clock. And oh, I had, um, you know, uh, a little bit more, I, I only eat like 100% dark chocolate now. But if I have too much of that, then I will see that my deep sleep, my percentage of REM sleep is dramatically affected by that. And so the combination of having that data, having the experience of having uh, difficulty resisting, I have to stay away. Even, and I think where so many people can get into trouble is so-called healthy, healthy snack foods. You know, go down the aisles of Whole Foods and you see they have now like, there's an entire double aisle of like energy bars, health bars. Uh, high protein. It doesn't matter. You know, Dave Asprey is a friend of mine and I love the bulletproof bars, but I love them a little too much because I could have them and I could have one and I'm finding, oh, I'm craving a second one uh, because they're candy bar like. Any there, the the wrapper just the it it is the same experience for me as it was many years ago when I was uh, eating Snickers bars. Uh, it's because it's they taste too good, and I realized that they're snack foods that I avoid. And so now the best pattern that I have found is like Jill is more of a carnivore-ish pattern. Uh, so tonight I had a ribeye steak. And I'm finding that I'm not craving anything after that uh, because it is that combination of fat and a lot more protein than I ever thought that I would be eating. And so I think that that's one of the ways to, um, to see. Uh, but again, this is personalized. It might not work for everybody. This is what works for me. It's that combination of data and also understanding that this, um, it, these foods are addictive. The Stephen so called healthy foods. Yeah, I'm the same way as you. If it's in front of me, I will eat it. And I love baking for my five kids, right? And all their partners. And they all come over. And if I don't send those kids home everything, you're right. I know it's in my freezer and I'm not gonna sleep well because I can't handle that it's in there and I like it and I want it, but it takes me off my own health journey. And I've learned over the decades that my health journey to feeling good outweighs any pleasure that cookie is going to bring me. And that is a hard lesson in years, decades of practice of being a, in a mindful practice about where you want to be on your health journey and how to get there. And I always talk about this with my clients. What's your why? Unless you've figured out your why, it's really hard to start on the journey. Did you get bad blood work back? Did you fall and injure yourself? Are you going to be a grandparent for the first time and realize you can't even bend down and tie your own shoes? You know, what is your why? And that is always a great question to ask yourself when you're thinking about making these lifestyle changes. For me, my why was optimizing my thyroid, which I only have half of, and I've only had half for uh, I had half my thyroid taken out about 20 years ago. 
And I've literally been chasing lab numbers and my own health equation for, for that long. And it's impacted many other areas in my life. And I work really hard at it. And did I used to, you know, I could never just have one piece of cake, right? I always wanted like a piece of cake and all the frosting. <laughs> like everyone just give me your frosting. So it is, it's, it, it, it might seem extreme to some of our listeners right now, but no, there is, again, no one size fits all. And you've got to find and discover what works for yourself. Um, but let's talk about health implications when you're an emotional eater, because most people just see the weight gain, right? Because it's visual and they, they feel that their pants, their clothes are not fitting them properly anymore. Um, maybe they're losing some hair because of all the weight gain, the fluctuations in their thyroid and their hormones. But there's, besides the obesity, there's high blood pressure, there's increased blood glucose levels, there's insulin resistance and chronic inflammation. And like you were saying before, the food manufacturers, they don't monkey around. They hire the best formulators to come up with the best formulas that are going to trigger that area of your brain to go send you out and hunt for more of their product. And it's, it's you know, completely calibrated. Um, but how does someone who's stuck in that addiction get off that train for good is simply purging their pantry. Like some people are like, all right, I'm just going to wake up. It's January 1st. I'm going to clean out my pantry. I'm going to clean out my refrigerator and I'm not going to buy these things anymore, but it doesn't last. So what are some steps that person can take to really get off the train? The steps are tiny ones. That is the secret or the key to have a change because it doesn't work to, I'm sure you've all been there, tomorrow I'm going to change. Or they may wake up in the morning and you may say, okay, today I'm not going to have anything after I finish my dinner. I'm not going to snack. And even like for me, I've got even nuts. I can have two, especially cashews. I mean, those are like kryptonite. I could eat like a whole bag out of awareness because they're, they're, they do taste sweet, at least to me. And uh, so you can make these promises. You can set the intention and that works for some people, but for most people, it doesn't. So you can shorten the time frame. And a lot of this comes from the research of BJ Fogg, who wrote Tiny Habits. It's a great book. And it is starting really slow. In other words, rather than saying to yourself, okay, today I'm not going to um, you know, have, have anything after dinner, you look at it to say, I'm going to do it in small increments. So can I, so let's say you have finished dinner. Can I, for the next minute, hold off to have something, if you're about to walk into the pantry to get that extra something that you're considering like a dessert or dessert-like or a, a, a snack, or, or it could be midday and you want that snack. And it's not dinner yet, even though you've set that intention, like, okay, I'm just going to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner and no snacking. And now you're just like climbing the walls because you, you want that snack. Oh, say, okay, it's, can I extend it? How about, you know, I'll evaluate in five minutes. Can I go for a walk? And then in five minutes, when I come back, if I still feel like it, and then you keep pushing it back. And that has been shown to be really effective. So you shorten the window and make it so short that it's doable. Well, surely I can last a minute without going into that pantry and breaking into that bag of cookies. And then you congratulate yourself. And that is the key. So let's say you've gone a minute, you have not gone into the pantry and cracked open that food, like, yay. And, and BJ calls that shine. It's a, a feeling of it's combined joy with accomplishment. Like you're an athlete and you've just crossed the finish line. And it's that, yes, I did it. Like this cheerleader type response that solidifies the habit. 
And then you say, okay, well, can I last five minutes, for example? Uh, so you might do this in tiny steps. You can break this down with exercise, with any, any good habit that you want to build. And so that has been shown to be successful and to also uh, sometimes to create situations where, um, for, for example, what comes to mind, like a lot of times emotional eating is done in silence. It's mm -hmm. done alone yeah. because uh, you may find that if you are eating with somebody else, uh, you are not as likely you know, right. to, um, to, in, to eat a little bit more or to indulge. So perhaps you create situations and if you're living alone, then maybe it is uh, having uh, some way that you're going to connect with somebody, maybe connecting with somebody else, a friend, a family member who is also struggling with the same issues. And you decide that you're going to like, you know, have um, do it together and even get on a call and, and talk and, or find some way to, so that you feel like you're not alone. There's, um, and also getting support. This is where having a coach can be really, really helpful. When you have accountability to somebody else, then you are less likely to um, fall off the wagon. You, you want to be able to report, yeah, I did it. Um, so those are potentially some things that might help. Yeah, absolutely. And in functional medicine coaching, we, we learned about um, setting up SMART goals. And I wanted to talk about the SMART goals because I think it was like my favorite part of the program because the word is SMART and here's how we have it now. Specific. So S is for specific and that is being specific on your plan. You know, creating that plan. All right, here's what my goal is. I want to lose 10 pounds and here's my plan of attack on how to get there. And then the F, <clears throat> I'm sorry, the M is for measurable. How will you measure the success of this goal? Well, is it going to be by the scale and losing those 10 pounds? Is it going to be by how your clothes fit you better when you lose the 10 pounds? So there's some kind of um, measurement there to help you get to this, uh, the success of the goal. Achievable for the A. This is visualizing the path. How achievable is this? Like, are you, if you weigh 120 pounds and you want to lose 30, is that like, you know, is that going to be achievable? Achievable? Like that doesn't, you know, make any sense. Um, realistic, visualize the results. If you are someone who's never run a marathon before and you are setting up a SMART goal of running a marathon in six weeks, but you've never run a day in your life, is that realistic? And time bound, what's the timeline? You want to lose your 10 pounds and how long? Do you want to do it in six weeks? Is there an event coming up or is it in three months or is it just whenever you lose it, you lose it. So I love the idea of SMART goals. And I often share that with my clients because it's just an easy word to remember and easy meetings to remember with them. Anything you want to add to the SMART goals? Yeah, so it is uh, breaking it down into tiny steps. So you, let's say you want to lose 10 pounds. Well, um, you start out with, I'm going to, uh, what will that look like? And so um, it could be, I'm going to uh, start by losing one pound, or maybe I'm going to focus on, uh, in order to do that, I am going to um, start out by, uh, we know that there's great evidence that um, time-restricted eating has been very helpful for that. So maybe you would start out by saying, okay, I'm not going to eat from the time I stop eating dinner at 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. the next morning. And how will then, you know, breaking it down even further, well, how am I going to occupy my time from seven to the time I go to bed? And then how, how can I, maybe you'll write it down. And in terms of, well, I'll have a gratitude journal that I'll write in, or uh, you would then look at how am I going to then tell my coach about it. And the, so you, you keep that uh, accountable and then you might say, okay, well, you might extend it further to 
now I woke up um, and instead of having uh, not eating from seven to seven, maybe I can go stop eating at seven and then push it to 8 a.m. the next day. And then perhaps then you are getting into even more of a time restricted eating and you realize, wow, this is a great way that I can uh, be losing the weight, or maybe your action plan is uh, the first thing I eat is not going to be uh, a bowl of oatmeal, but maybe I will have something that has fat in it, and that will keep me satiated for a longer period of time. Uh, and so that might be another way that you could do it. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> thinking about your goals and asking for <clears throat> asking for help, right? Asking people around you, who, who could I go to for help to be held accountable to have the support I need? And there's, you know, there's health coaches, um, which obviously we have an affinity towards, but there are nutritionists, there are registered dietitians, there are all sorts of people out there who are professionals at helping you reach your goal. Um, what I love about being a health coach is that I'm your co-pilot right? Health coaches are trained to be your co-pilot. We are not the, um, we are not the ringleaders. We do not lead the show. We do not tell our clients what to do. We assist them with suggestions. Um, we help repeat back to them their, their visual ideas of where they want to be in their, in their own health journey. And we're the sounding boards. Um, so, absolutely build a team around you and uh, make sure it's a comfortable team that is listening to you uh, and not to overwhelm yourself when you're on this health journey to change lifestyles because we want them to be permanent. We want you to live a, a, a life of optimal health and wellness and everybody's equation is different. Um, I want to thank you again, Dr. Sandy, for joining me. I am going to put up in the notes for all of you in Facebook, all of her different handles so you can follow her because she just has such amazing um, content that she posts. And um, I wanted to give you a heads up in a couple weeks, I'll be having another Facebook Live with Judy Cho, who is an NTP, and she wrote the book called The Carnivore Cure. And uh, Dr. Sandy, you might listen, like listening to that one. Her book is amazing. And yes, I, I know it. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. And her, um, so I'm a carnivore now. <clears throat> it's been about a year. And a lot of my followers are just always send me messages like, how can you eat so much steak? How, you know, aren't you going to get clogged arteries and all the saturated fat and the high cholesterol, blah, blah, blah. So I really wanted to bring an expert on and really dig deep into the carnivore path and way of life. Cause I just, it works for me. It's not for everybody, but it's um, very intriguing. And what else we um, I'll put up all of her handles. Oh, the free gift, the ebook. What is that? And can, where can people go to get that? It's a simple guide to breathing, a simple guide to relaxation through breathing. Okay. So real basic techniques. And uh, we will send a link. There should be a link that, so if you wanted to post oh, it. Oh, here I do. I, I think it should have been sent. Yeah. I'll, I'll put that on there as well. Great. All right. So Dr. Sandy, thank you again. It was so great to see you and have this conversation. I hope for all of you out there that there's some nuggets to take away and think about and um, set some new goals for yourself. So thank you all and have a good evening. Thank you. It was great to be here and talk with you all. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.